everybody. Welcome to the Hanging and Bagging Podcast. My name is Ron Onesti from the Arcata Theater in St. Charles, just outside of Chicago. And we are broadcasting live with Vinny Apice from Deal, Black Sabbath, Lasted Line, and of course the legendary Carmine Apice from Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, and so many other bands. Thanks for joining us. Eric Singer, I understand you just got to Las Vegas. Is that how you're coping with all this crap going on? Yeah, I, I did. I'm, I'm part of the mass exodus out of California. I've noticed a bunch of other people. I think Benny's bandmate. Yeah, Phil Susan. Yeah, Phil Susan. Uh, Phil just moved here recently. Bruce mm-hmm. Kulis moved here recently, or within the last year or so, year and a half. But a lot of people I know are, have moved over here. I just think you get uh, there's a lot more bang for your buck. Um, if you don't mind the, the heat, uh, it's not as bad as people think, although it's not August yet. But yeah. it's 102 today, 106. But today the humidity is 5% humidity. So wow. it's 102, but it feels, it feels like 85 in, in L.A. So what's it like? I mean, here we are mid-June. What's it like uh, as it pertains to, you know, what, what's, what's the script look like? What's, I mean, I'm talking about, like, customers and people on quarantine. I mean, how alive is Vegas? Has it come back at all yet? Well, I haven't been to, I, ironically, I have not even been to the Strip, not even once since I moved here. Um, <laughs> I'm, not funny. A, I'm not a gambler, and I, I don't care about, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I look at myself, I'm a local, so I live in Henderson, which is south and east, and that's where most of the musicians we know, like Grant Fitz, Todd yeah. Cotton, Bruce, all these guys, they all live in Henderson. Although I think Phil's, I think Phil's in Summerlin or somewhere over that way. He's in a different area. Yeah, you know, these guys here, the guy to your, let's see, to your right and above your head, these legendary performers, uh, but I'm honored to be on this show with, of course. I'm sure they're inspirations. You mentioned how many, uh, how many people, how many projects Carmine has uh, appeared on, of course, many too, so many projects. And I just thought it was so, was so cool that you list as your inspiration, sure, guys like the guys on this show, guys like John Bonham, but also, you yeah. know. Carmine, you see this? Look at that. Uh, nice. <laughs> uh, the, the, there's a, the bottom. Buddy Rich. Buddy well, Rich is also. And well, that, well, what I wanted to know was, I know your dad, you know, started off, he was a, he was a big band uh, performer, right? Yeah, my dad was a, my dad was a band leader. Um, mm. when, he was young, when, when he was younger, right out of high school, he, his first band he toured with in the 30s, because my dad was born in 1909. My dad was a lot wow. older. Wow. Took, the first band he was in was a Freddie Carlone band out of Cleveland, and Perry Como was the singer. Mm-hmm. And my dad yeah. on double dates when they were like in their twenties. Um, wow! And I, think my, aunt, I, think, my, I think my aunt, my my might have, from what I my cousin told me, I think his mom, my aunt, might have been with Perry, Perry Como. But uh, I can't. Wow. That was really cool. I mean, how about you guys, Carmine, Vinny, your inspiration? From the beginning, was it were they actual rockers from the fifties, sixties? Uh, did you have any inspiration from the forties, like the Gene Krupa well, world? My, mine was like Perry Como. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Vinny came up in our era. Like uh, you guys are the same age, I think. You and Vinny. I think Vinny's a year older. I'm sixty-two. Vinny's like I think I, I was born in fifty-eight. Same uh, Eric. I changed mine to Celsius. I'm 16. I like it. Well, here's what I do. Whenever I have a birthday from now on, like next year, when I'm 63, I tell everybody I'm, I'm 50 for the 13th time. 
There you go. My influences, my influences were uh, were Buddy Rich, Gene Krupa, Joe Morello, and Max Roach. So those are like jazz and big oh. band guys. Unlike these two, they probably listened to like John Bonham and my, myself and those guys, and maybe some Buddy Rich. Now, I know Vinny loves Buddy Rich. And, oh, yeah. uh, not, Buddy. Not, not so much Krupa, but, you know, I was like a total Krupa guy and total Buddy Rich. Every time somebody says, what's your first album you ever bought? Expect me to say the Beatles or something. You know, I say Krupa and Rich. That was my first album. That's why you're so a like, what, did, what was your first album, Eric? Um, I remember buying 45s in the 60s, so I remember buying, like, I bought Honky Tonk Woman. Wow. The Rolling Stones, what's the B-side was Can't Always Get What You Want. I re- um, mm-hmm. The first albums I remember getting, though, um, in sixth grade, um, there was this kid that played bass. He was more into, like, punk, so I remember he bought me, uh, for my birthday, Iggy Pop Raw Power and Iggy and the Stooges, and I had MC5 kick out the jams. Um, Steppenwolf, uh, I'm trying to remember what else. But then I think what changed it for me is when I heard, you know, I saw, I saw you on TV with Ed Sullivan, you know, with, uh, you know, the right. Beatles and Vanilla yeah. Fudge, all that stuff. So that to me was the real influence. Dave Clark Five with that Red Sparkle Rogers kit. Right, right. Seeing those bands on TV, I think, had the biggest impact. Yeah, yeah, I was definitely uh, the same way. <clears throat> Those that TV was that was it. Ed Sullivan show, any variety show, or American Bandstand, and there was yep. another show. Yeah. You did it, Carmine Hullabaloo. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that you show. Yeah. yeah, it was so funny. You're doing. You keep hanging on with all the stops, and the chicks are still dancing to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, hilarious. <laughs> There was one of those, I think, in Chester, Linda, or, or somewhere in, in, in one of the suburbs of Cleveland, there was a Hullabaloo Club. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I'm sure you I played think, it. I, I think we played it. Yeah, I think we did play it. All the bands yeah. that toured would play Because I think when you guys started, they didn't have, like, big concert venues initially. Right, right. right. That was all, like, uh, ballrooms and clubs, big clubs, like thousand thousand seat clubs. Oh. I, you know, like uh, the Fillmore East was only, uh, the Fillmore West was only maybe, I think, a thousand people or 1,100 right. people, something like that. The Fillmore East was big. The Fillmore East was big. It was a theater. It was like the Arcada, you know? Yep. Yeah, we had, uh, I mean, there's a lot of that going around. We actually had the International Amphitheater back then. I know you played played there. I saw you guys there actually later. Ellis Cooper. Yeah. yeah. And all that stuff. We played the Kinetic Clay, uh, the Kinetic Playground in Chicago. Kinetic Playground. Jethro Tull, Led Zeppelin, and Vanilla Fudge. What a great show! I think yeah, I told Palma. you about the spitballs. Palma, <laughs> you know, you know your um, your old road manager, Paco Zimmer. Of course. He, he told me that you named him Paco after some we fisherman. Did. He said you guys went fishing in Mexico, and the the, the fisher yeah. guy was Paco, and for some reason he started calling you started calling him Paco. Uh, yeah, because he looked like Paco. He had the must the Mexican mustache, and he yeah. looked like uh, hey Paco, what are you doing, Paco? And we started goofing with it. And it he stopped. told me <laughs> he told me when you guys had Zeppelin opening for you that he went to the airport to pick them up, and their he remembers their gear coming off the turnstile um, when they yeah. first joined the tour. Yeah. Well, we used to do that. We uh, we used to pull the truck, like when we toured with Hendrix, we had all three or four bands all in one like 24 foot truck. 
They used to back the truck right up to the belly of the plane, and we'd pay the uh, sky cap like a hundred bucks, and he'd load all the stuff. I mean, all the Hendrix's amplifiers, <laughs> everybody's right into the belly of the plane, and then it would all come out on the turnstiles. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah, that's see a Marshall lamp, a Marshall bottom coming down the turnstile. <laughs> he said he, he said he remembered Zeppelin's gear coming off the first time they came to America. Yep, yep. that's and funny. Bon, Bonzo had a. One of those uh, Ludwig, uh, it was like gray, black kind of pearl. I it might have been a Ringo. might have been a Ringo. I thought he had Slinger ones originally. No, no. Well, maybe they were Slinger ones, but I, I, I thought they were Ludwigs. I and, uh, the Ludwigs. Yeah, but, but I think he had. Big. I think he had Ludwig. Uh, oh, okay. Rented a rent. It was a rented kit. It wasn't really their kits, I don't think. And. Uh, <laughs> But it was small. It was small. Twenty-two bass drum and it was like thirteen and you know thirteen by eight rather and uh, thirteen by nine and sixteen sixteen and a five inch snare. And that was it. Wow. You know. You guys are I have a question for Vinny. Vinny, when you yeah. first joined Black because I saw you when you were playing with Derringer a couple times with Danny oh, yeah. Johnson. You know, I remember you opened for Rush, um, oh. um, Cleveland Public Hall. I remember. I had front row center seats. I remember. I remember I went down to the box office and got – I literally had the dead center seat front row at Cleveland Public Hall. You guys opened for them. I think it was with Max Webster also maybe. You remember? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Are, you, are you sure it was me? No, no absolutely. Oh, yeah. It was, okay. definitely, it was the original lineup, the original – the first okay. the first album lineup with you and maybe, yeah. Aronson. Kenny yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember. I don't remember opening for Rush. That's weird. My question was: You had the kit with the you know just two contratoms off center. Yeah. And then you joined Black Sabbath, and you originally were using that small kit in the very beginning, correct? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. What happened was I went down and played with Sabbath, and I brought the small kit. They were concert toms, so they don't have bottom heads, which makes them seem even smaller. And I went down to play with, with Sabbath, and they liked the way I play. They said, all right, you're in. And then Tony said, can you play double bass? The kit's too small. And I went, oh. So I started adding some toms and then uh, started adding, uh, adding aerial toms. And it was because of that where on the last tour I had like 21-piece drum set, a humongous drum set. But yeah, it, it looked puny because Tony had four stacks and Geezer had four yeah. stacks. <laughs> it was this little drum set in the middle, you know. But, but the that's very, the way that whole thing started. But the first shows, you only used that like five-piece kit, correct? Yeah, because we had rehearsal four days, then we flew off to Hawaii to play a, yeah. a big outdoor sh stadium show. So those were the only drums I had. Then I called Ludwig. I said, dude, I need give me another floor, another rack, and then uh, give me some those aerial toms we were talking about. I don't know where they came from, but then I just started adding them, more cymbals. So it had to look the part, you know. I remember, though, seeing photos in the magazine when you first were in the band. Well, here's the new drummer, and here's his, and he had this small kit. It looked kind of funny. <laughs> I said, now I use the same kit. I use more toms. That's it, man. I love it. I, I think, it, you know, it's cool. But we're playing smaller places, so it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, similar setup. There you go. Yeah, there you go. 
let's go to Eric. You know, we got a lot of questions from people, and obviously having you on the show is a real big deal. Obviously, I got a bunch of KISS questions. Don't want to dominate too much with KISS. But by the same token, that's a huge, big deal. Um, one of the questions is, uh, uh, what is your relationship now or recently with Peter Chris in the sense that I know we know the whole transition was challenging. But we also uh, understand that he's a big fan of yours and the job you're doing with KISS. Who's a big fan? Peter Chris. Of me? <laughs> yep. It's documented. He said he's documented saying, look, I'm not thrilled with what happened and how it went down, but Eric Singer's doing a great job in my place. All right, cool. No, I, I, it's, as we all know, there's politics in a yep. lot of situations. I stay out of the politics. <laughs> Just like even daily life now, it gets me. Yeah. I'm not going to win those battles. So. I, you know, I always looked at it this way. Hey, I just play drums. They needed a drummer. If it wasn't me, it was going to be somebody else. So right. why not be me? So that's how I look at it. But bottom line is, there's, it's undeniable. Most bands become known for, you know, an original lineup is what creates a chemistry. I'm sure Vinny knows from like that original deal lineup. As much yeah. as they, they change some members along the way, but I think right. the chemistry – you, you know, is undeniable. Just like Rod Stewart when he had that that Rod Stewart band with Carmine, with Jimmy yeah. Pickett, that band had a chemistry and a sound. Same thing yep. with that first deal. No offense to anybody else, but once you change the other guys, and once Vinny was gone, and Vivian Campbell gone, and Jimmy Bain or whatever, I mean, even though the guys that come in are all really good, the yeah, sound, it's not the same. The sound right. is created by I agree. original bands. And I respect that. And I, the, hey, I tell people, my favorite version of Kiss is the original band because that's what I grew up on. Well, why do you think then, uh, and I, and, you know, speaking to that, the cat man, Peter Chris, you come in, of course, there's a couple other things that went on, but why do you think they didn't give you a new character? Why do you think they just didn't leave Catman, Peter Chris's Catman, and bring somebody else to create another character? Well, keep it original. Keep it. They wanted the original look. You know, you know, Gene and Paul. They wanted the original look. I know that. Well, you have to also think of this. Now, some people use the analogy like, "Oh, the Yankees have different players. It's still the Yankee pinstripes, and you don't change the uniform." Other people are very emotional about this stuff, and I can right. respect that. But to me, it's not an emotional thing. They tried other other characters with Vinnie Vincent and Eric Carr, and uh, I think. You know, remember, they, they took the makeup off for a reason, because it wasn't working anymore. Yeah, when right. They did, when they did Creatures of the Night Tour, and Vinnie Vincent came in wearing this, whatever, Egyptian or Ankh warrior, whatever you call it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Paul told me, he said, Eric, when I pull up to the venues, it looked like the place was empty. There was no cars in the parking lot. He said, you know, they in an arena, they'd have 2,000 people. He thought, mm -hmm. and that was 10 years, in, that was their 10th anniversary tour. He goes, I thought it was over. Now, here we are 44 years later. So, uh, you know, they made decisions and choices. I, I got so, a funny story. I got a funny story with Paul. When uh, I was hanging out with Paul in 78, when he turned me on to a coin management, you know, their management company, I played on his album. We hung out quite a bit. You know, we went to Rod Stewart parties with Paul and all that. So we went to see Angel at the Long Beach Arena. And uh, I had an old Jaguar at the time. We pulled in, we, we pulled in the backstage and we're sitting at, and we had front row seats after going backstage and we're sitting there hanging. I see all these fans like, you know, mulling together, pointing to us, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, they recognize him, Paul, you know. And then they all come up to me and ask me for my autograph and Paul was right <laughs> next to me. 
but nobody knew who he was because he always had the makeup on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was hilarious. Who is somebody so else? The question for all three of you guys. I mean, there's so many out there now, but who are the drummers today or relative to today that it just gets you guys going that you really, really love? That's a good well, question. Good question. There's just so many great drummers. I mean, I, I, I love Vinnie Caliuta because um, I think he's insane. He can play anything, any style of music. Um, he's really like um, a savant. But he's not. But he's not new. No, he's, he's not. 40, new. He's been around oh, forty years. Yeah, you're well, right. You're right. You're right. He's been around. No, since no. I'm but I'm saying I agree with you because now there's really no drum heroes anymore because there's no guitar heroes and no any of those heroes because there's no albums. Nobody knows who's who's on what. You know, right. that's why that's why the problem is, and there's no rock on the radio like it used to be. You know? How about a Dave Grohl or someone like that? He's not new. It's not new either, but Dave, Dave was good. I enjoyed Dave. Yeah. But he yeah. from the freaking 90s. That's what I'm saying. New, you know, yeah. I mean, really, I actually like one year. It's very rare. I actually like Taylor Hawkins, the drummer in the Foo Fighters. Yeah, Taylor Hawkins is great. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's great. And he's not new either. And he's not new either. No. <laughs> question. question. So I think the answer is we don't know. <laughs> or, we don't, or we don't listen to this new stuff. It's usually you, and honestly, there's a lot of young kids that are like 8, 10, 12 years old on YouTube that yeah. are phenomenal, very good, and I'm impressed by those. I mean, you got to remember, we didn't have those kind of tools. We didn't have the internet. Yeah. We didn't have, you know, you had to listen to a record and try to figure it out, or, yeah. you'd, or you'd go to a concert and watch the guy play and go, oh, that's how he's doing it. And mm -hmm. nowadays, they can go watch any of us online and figure, oh, I see what he's doing it. They learn it instantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Pete, Pete uh, Bigiani from my group Kodiak that I'm, I'm managing, co-producing co and stuff. He's a great drummer. I mean, he studied. He's got great feet. He's got good hands. He's a great drummer, you know, of today. He's, in, he's 23 years old, and, yeah. and he rocks. You know who else is really good? I can tell you. Max Weinberg's kid, Zach. Oh, yeah. Zach Weinberg, he's really good. And I mean, if, any, yeah, if anyone, I would say his kid, you know. Max you know what's kid, Zach. He filled in for his dad for Bruce Springsteen, but he's for his favorite band was Slipknot. You'd never yeah. know that the kid playing with Bruce Springsteen when he was like seventeen or eighteen filling in ends up with Slipknot. I know, I know, right? It's crazy because he's got good hands and really fast feet. And, and so yeah. uh, Max turned me on to some videos of his like a couple of weeks ago. And Max lives ten minutes from where I moved to. You know, and, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll hang out a little bit. But he's. Yeah, he was. Uh, he told me that I influenced him, and, and it went down the line. He said, "I influenced my kid." I said, well, "I influenced my kid too, Vinny." <laughs> you know, you guys. Are hey, hey Eric. Hey Eric. Did you ever want to figure out a drum lick when we were growing up, and you played the record on slow? Yeah, you'd slow it down, <laughs> or sometimes you take your finger and kind of drag it, slow it down, holding your finger slightly. <laughs> yeah, slow it down yeah. Um, those were the tools we had. Like, what did he play there and put it on yeah. sixteen and a half? I never, I never did that. I had to learn. I had to learn real, real speed. Yeah, well, you were also Tommy, you were writing the parts. You were one of those. You were one of the ground yeah. floor guys. So, in all fairness, in all respect, you know. I always tell Carmine, he's like the G, he's a Gene Krupa of rock. Gene Krupa yeah. was a guy that was an originator back in to the big band era, you know, Buddy yeah. Rich, all those guys, that was their hero. Me growing up, it was, you know, it was Carmine, 
And, uh, you know, like Carmine, like Derek Sherinian always says, Carmine's the last of the, of the, of the great Mohicans. He's, you know, because Ginger Baker and uh, Keith Moon, Bonham, Mitch those Mitchell, guys, Mitch Mitchell, Mitch Mitchell, Mitch Mitchell, they all passed on. Yeah. And, oh. and, Neil, and now we lost Neil as well. And I noticed Ron's enjoying us. He's got a big smile on his face. I love it, man. I tell you, <laughs> man, I can't believe I'm with you guys and with Eric and Boot. I mean, I'm talking about a cherry on top of a drumstick. That's hey, big. did you? Uh, I, I was. I'm reading a Rolling Stone book about Charlie Watts, and the guy in there is mentioning uh, "Keep on Knocking" by Little Richard. Did you hear the yeah, intro uh, to that? Oh yeah, it's it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's rock and roll. Like, it's rock, rock and roll. roll. It's, a, it's, it's a little different, roll. but it's the coolest uh, groove. Like the yeah. way he, the feel. It's four bars, but it seems like it's off. At the end, you know, yeah, because he comes in, because he comes in on the end. It starts on the end. Yeah, it's yeah, one, it's two, so three, cool. da, 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 da. It's it, the actual riff starts on the end, which is why everybody gets it turned around in their head. Right. Yeah. It's it's really cool. This was the original, and it's a little different than what that Bonham was, did, but the definite. Yeah. That's where he got oh, the it idea. Was tough. It was oh, definitely coolest I, stuff, I, I, man. I listened to that when I was a kid. Your brother Frank used to buy those records. Yeah, well, but that intro older, he was older. the coolest. And I and I listened to that intro and I copped that intro when I was a kid, you know, because that was one of the only rock things to listen to. There was that, there was Teen Beat, Cozy yep. Powell, uh, uh, Cozy Cole, Teen uh, Topsy Part 2, Let There Be Drums, and Wipeout. Those were yeah, like Wipeout. the only, those like were the only rock things that were like interesting for a drummer, you know. The rest of the stuff was... Crap, you know? Yeah. I would love to hear you play the opening to Wipeout. That would be so cool. All right. We it's played it once at our show. There you go. So you hey, guys Eric. have played on so many projects. Uh, Eric, you played over 75 albums. I don't have the time to count the albums and stuff. Carmine, many of you have been on. And how, it always uh, uh, was a question for me. How do you guys keep track of those things you still have all 75 albums somewhere do you have where do you guys keep that kind of stuff and keep it straight wow i i saw the last time i saw all the albums that i did it was in drumhead magazine when me and Vinny were on a cover and they have the article and then they list all your albums and they they listed all the albums i said wow i didn't know how i played on that many albums it was only yeah. 50 it was only 50 at the time. Now it might be 60. But Eric, you beat me out. You beat no, me out. No, but, but don't forget, when people are doing Carmine, in all fairness, if you played on one track on an album, they count that. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So if you're on a compilation album, they count that. You're on no, some. Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, well, that, if you count, count compilation like, albums, I'm way up. Yeah, oh, yeah. They count it as, like, appearances, if you will. Yeah. Right. Many of them, man. By the way, yeah, Carmine, my, Vinny, yeah. playing, uh, one of my friends I just spoke to, this guy Frank Amato, he's a singer-producer from Cleveland. I guess you're playing on some tracks for some guy that he's producing out of Cleveland. I just spoke to him because they're here in Vegas visiting, so I'm going to yeah. meet him for dinner later tonight. But some guy named Joey something, I think you played Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. Tell him I said hi. And, uh, yeah, I got a studio in my house. I love, I love, you know, the stuff's right, the music's right. Uh, and, and uh I record it myself. I'm the engineer. I'm a wireless keyboard, yeah. the whole thing. And I get to experiment with all the different mics. And, like, I just found this uh, 
this little mic here, the Sony, look at this thing, stereo, and I plugged it in. I haven't used it in years, and I listened to it. It sounded incredible. So I'm going to hook yeah. it up to my interface, put it probably here on the desk as a room mic, see yeah, what it yeah, sounds like. Yeah. yeah Vinny's building, building me a computer to put in my drum room, which is a – and we have a guest house here. I got the drums and the gym in there, and that's it. It's like my man cave. And he's building me the computer to hook it up so I can record here as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah, Vinny's a, a, computer, a computer tech as well, besides being a great drummer. I'm a Windows guru. <laughs> yeah. Keep that. How come it takes you so long to get on this program? We start this thing every week. Um, what was that? I'm sorry. I said that if you're a guru, how come it takes you so long to get on this program every week? Um, well, because we're changing programs all the time. So this is the best program now. I like this one. This one. Yeah, yeah this is good. Now, Alex, but Ron, but Ron it's, you're it's breaking up. You're you, breaking you've up. Been, in my you've head been head breaking up. We don't know why, but. It's probably oh, okay. your internet connection. You're not in your house at the normal place that we're no, normally see. It's the speakeasy. You said it last week. I, I left my house. This is my speakeasy in St. Charles. We're down. Right. We're closed doors. But, right. Uh, so so the internet connection might be a little weird. But but this yeah. system came from Eric's friend, Stefan, that I did, an, I did an interview with. And Derek set me up with it. And then those guys said, well, you got to get Eric on. That's, how, that's why we got Eric here today. And uh, anyway, because of uh, Stefan, we have this new system now. Because we did this system with his, and I said, wow, this is so much better than what we're doing. It and really, it, really is. Yeah, it's and so, so much easier to hook up. Yeah, what you just hook up and get on. Eric, I heard about this. What is this about you uh, being a deputized police officer in Texas? How did that all come to me? I got a bet. You want to see my badge? Yeah. Where is, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I'm going to show it to you. Hold on. No, no. What what, uh, what city? In Texas. I don't know the city. Oklahoma City? No, I don't know the city. It's in Texas, though. Oh, Texas. No, that's funny. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, he well, the police are not very well liked right now. Yeah. No. God bless them. God bless our police. Yeah, God, that's what I that's say. Right. God bless them. These, Me these too. People are crazy. These uh that's all because of the news sensationalizing it. They they make sure, it worse than it is, and they're destroying the country. Can you see it? Hey, all right. Oh yeah. Oh, it's kind of getting reflection. Hold on. That is uh, no, that's cool. We see it. We see it. Yeah, yeah we, there it is. Yeah, there dude. Is. Wow. Cor it says Corporal Singer somewhere. And you're a corporal too. Yeah. Wow. How'd you become a corporal so quick? Honorary. Addison, oh, you can deputize a, a police captain or whatever. You can deputize anybody. Um, Tommy Thayer, I think, got, deput got deputized as a, I think, as a marshal or one of the Tennessee or something. Oh, wow. How did tell us about how the gears came about? That's easy uh, when you're in KISS, see? Hey, you know I got one. In KISS? I got one from South America. There you go. Do, do you? Yeah. Really? Is that real? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's so real. Doesn't have my name on it. I don't know if it works or anything. I mean, the way it worked was the one guy. All I have, all I have, is my garage door open here. There you go. That's all you need. Actually, a friend of mine named Ariel from Ariel Javier, who who's a 
on the police force there in Wharton, which is, uh, I think it's about 40, 50 miles outside of Dallas and, or Houston, try to remember. Um, and, uh, I think, no, it's Houston. So anyways, the, I'm into watches, wristwatches, and this guy's a. Oh, yeah, a, I forgot. Yeah, that's right. He's a moderator on one of these watch sites, and uh, I became friends with him that way. And when we played there, he he knew I was, you know, he knows that everyone in our band's always been very supportive of the military and police and all that stuff. We've always just, you know, civil servants were very supportive of that and those yeah. causes and charities for that type of stuff. You know, Tommy Thayer, our guitar player, his dad was a brigadier general in the, uh, oh, wow. in the, in the military, nice. in the army. So, we do a lot of stuff because of that. That's I collected cool. some. Really I collected cool. some watches from back in the eighties, and uh, I still found my uh, Derringer uh, first LED of about nineteen seventy six. Really? You know, red. Yeah. I put a new battery in, and it was all. It worked a bit. Then it went all nuts. You know. But I had some original Japan watches. Solar, one of the first. Solar yeah. watches. Yeah, no, I used no, to collect no. them all, buy them. How, how many do you have now, Eric? I know you've been collecting for a long time. How many do you have now? I've never counted, but I know it's probably close to 300 or something like that. Wow. Yeah. But <laughs> that's he really collects watches. But that's nothing. I mean, Alice Cooper has about 500. He's always been really into it. Really? Wow. Wow. Hey, Eric, Eric, what time is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at the camera at 4.31 and 51. I noticed you one. <laughs> hey, Vinny, I have a question for you. Did Carmine have anything to do with you meeting um, Rick Derringer and getting in Derringer, or how'd that happen? Uh, the way that happened was um, the band I was with in Brooklyn when I was 16, it was a four-horn player band, you know, really good band. And we got managed by the Record Plant Studios in New York City. Jimmy Iveen was our producer. He was a good oh. friend. So he brought us in there, and we used to rehearse there all the time. We had our own room. It was the coolest thing. And in there, we met John Lennon, and we wound up doing some stuff with him. And then uh, we did demos, and Rick was there one day, and he heard the demo. And he asked Jimmy, who is that? And they said, that's Carmine's brother, Vinny, playing drums in his band. He goes, Wow. Then I met up with him, and he and he said, "Give me your number. I'm going to be putting a band together." I went, "Yeah, here's my number." So uh, it was, you know, it was yeah, a great then, place to network. It's a great place to network when uh, we met Aerosmith there, Jay Giles band, everybody recorded there. So it was. Cool. And when he called, when he called up for Vinny, he called the house. Vinny still lived at home. My mother's so house. My mother answered the phone, and she goes, "Hi, hi, Mrs. Appesey. This is." Uh, Rick Derringer, I like to talk to Vinny. So my mother says, oh, no, you want to talk to Carmine? <laughs> so, really? Yeah, yeah. So he goes, no, no, I want to talk to Vinny. And she, she kept thinking that he was calling to me, but asking for the wrong guy. And then finally, she, got, she couldn't believe that. You know, you got Rick Derringer at the time, who was big, was calling for Vinny, like uh, Vinny was still in high school, you know. And uh, it was pretty funny. She told me that. I laughed, you know. That's yeah. great. No, I was yeah. wondering. I thought, I thought maybe that you knew him, and you said, "Hey, why don't you get my brother to play?" Joe. I always wondered how it happened. Well, well, I did know him, but I didn't ask him to, to bring Vinny in. You know, like he actually, Carmine, Carmine never really helped me get in these bands. You know, no. it was all. Uh, it was always. It was own. always just Carmine's brother. I was that Carmine's brother. That might yeah. have helped a little, but I never physically. Called anybody and said, "Hey, yeah. take my brother in." You know? I was Carmine's brother till I got older and better and kicked his ass. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, we'll be right back after a few messages from our sponsors.
Welcome back to our Hanging and Banging podcast. I'm Ron Onesti here with Vinny Apice and, of course, the legendary Carmine Apice. Well, you right. can see when you guys do your uh, your drum war show again, as I say every week. One of my yeah. favorite shows live we have by my theater here, seeing you guys up against each other, almost trying to one up each other. I don't know how choreographed or scripted that is, but that's the funest part of watching well, you two heads. So it's a lot of it's a lot of freedom because sometimes we'll end the song and then Vinny will look at me and take a four, and like it's basically he's telling me let's do some fours. And we would do them, and then we'd end the song again, you know. But it's really a lot of fun. You never saw it, Eric? Did you ever see it? Uh, no. Great see, that's our new drum sets there. See our new drum sets? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. It's in the trunk. It is a small kid. It fits yeah, in a mini car. Is, is, that that, from new, is that from uh, New York? Uh, that, the drum kits was a, a theater in, uh, in uh, Connecticut. That was a benefit yeah. show. Yeah. Well, you, are, you guys yeah. together when you're on that uh, on that tour? It's not really a tour because I know you do a lot of one-offs and that kind of thing. But are you guys uh, literally? Uh, how much of that is scripted? And how much of that is that you're just kind of making it happen, trying to one-up each other? It's probably seventy percent scripted, and then you know whatever happens happens. You know, I try to make yeah. something happen if nothing happens by throwing some loops in there. You know. Yeah, and making it happen. Okay, hey, what happened to the questions? What happened to the questions from the viewers? So I got a couple yeah. here. Um, what do you think about what's his name uh, Romero and the new Rainbow? I guess this is for you, Vinny. Uh, he's a vocalist. Who? Uh, his name is Romero. He is in the new Rainbow, and they'd like to know what your opinion is of of him. One of our customers here looking for questions. I'm sorry, I don't. That doesn't ring a bell of who he is. Okay. Right, we got another Richie Blackmore. Richie Blackmore in the last year or two put a new version of Rainbow together and yeah. that singer that he's asking you about. Yes. But oh, I never heard him. I never okay. heard him either. That's the answer to the question. But for Eric, I mean, how real, how real is this whole? This is the last hurrah for Kiss. How real is that? You think? Uh, I believe it's real. I think you know you got to remember. Gene's, Gene will be 71 in August. He's really. Now, what 71-year-old guy, think about when you were a kid, that would be your grandfather, that's putting on that costume, breathing fire, <laughs> and spitting blood and flying up in the air. I mean, now, people probably spit up blood for other reasons, but the point yeah. is, he's, you know, the fact <laughs> he still does it is kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm yeah. 73, and I, I totally get it. You know, I mean, it's like You're not I, get off, I get off my drums now after a, a drum solo. My heart's like at 130 you know, beats per, per second. Now, and I'm like a minute and I'm like, you know, almost dizzy. You know what I'm saying? So it's got to be it's got to be hard to just walk around in those boots. Yeah. yeah when you're that age, you know, it's, it's hard enough to walk around in comfortable shoes. <laughs> Sandals. There you go. Nice. Yeah. I got sketches. All my, my all my shoes are sketches now. They're so comfortable. They're, they're much better. We just took a, a walk around, about a mile walk around the, the circle here where we live with the dog. And I couldn't do it in any other shoes. I tell you the truth. Does the I'm right there. I I've been I finally said, Oh, I have I have to relent and wear new balance shoes. And yeah. they're made for walking and it's ironic. Um 
When I first met Tony Iommi, he, as Vinny knows, Tony Iommi always likes to go walking after he eats dinner, yeah. right? Always yeah. goes for long walks. And he was the one that I remember. I met him in 1984, late 84, early 85. And I remember he always wore New Balance. Unless he went out, he wore pointed like, you know, Cuban heel boots going to a club. But when he, during the day, and he'd go walking in these New Balance sneakers, and he was very religious about doing that every day. Um, he and Jeff Nichols, they always would go walking, I remember. And so, you know, they're not exactly the most fashionable looking type of shoes, but they're intended to be, you know, for walking. And the point is, I finally said, okay, I'm old. I got to wear them because it helps. It really makes a difference. Well, Eric, you know, uh, I mean, uh, Alice Cooper is about 72, 73 years old. He's still rocking and rolling, having a great time. Um, but let me ask you now, you know, you're obviously got some uh, experience at the time when you got into Kiss. Uh, you know, your first big thing basically was Lita Ford, uh, Alice Cooper, all this great stuff that you have. Um, but how was it when you first got that call that you got the gig in Kiss, one of the biggest bands in the world? How big of a thrill was that for you? Well, I had done Paul Stanley's solo tour in 1989, so that's how I met him. I was actually in New York recording a record with this band called Badlands, and one of the guys that we were managed by Paul O'Neill, who managed Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and yep. uh -huh. one of the guys that, was, that he represented, this guy Dennis St. John, this bass player, he just said, uh, he asked Paul O'Neill, hey, what's Eric doing? Because Paul Stanley needs a drummer. And he said, oh, he's done with this record. He's just going home. He's got to sit around for a few months. So he told Paul about me, and I went over to the KISS office, which they were living in New York at the time, and I just met with him. And then uh, that night, uh, we were at the record plant in New York, and I was flying home to L.A. the next morning, and Jason Flom was our A&R guy. And Jason Flom came in and said, uh, hey, Eric, I just saw Paul Stanley at the China Club. He told me you're playing drums in his solo tour. I'm like, Really? I didn't <laughs> so that's how I met Paul. And then after that, Paul was moved to LA and sometimes they asked me to play on demos, kiss demos. Um, because okay. Eric Carr didn't live in uh, LA. By this point in 89, Paul and Gene and Bruce Kulik were all living in LA. So when they would do demos, they'd all do them like kind of separately and they'd go and just like, you know, have their friends and say, hey, like Tommy Thayer was playing on demos for Gene and Paul back then as well. And uh, so they just, Paul asked me to come in and play on a bunch of demos for Hot in the Shade album, but um, I didn't play on the record, just demos. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I kind of developed a relationship that way. And so when Eric Carr got ill, when, th when they went to do the Revenge album, Paul called me up again and said, hey, Eric's sick, can you come in and play on some stuff for a record? And so then he passed away, unfortunately, and then it kind of just yeah. it happened to be the right place, right time. How much uh, did you have to deal with Doc McGee at the time? Doc was not the manager at that time. No, he wasn't the manager, yeah. It was, uh, it was Larry Mazur. Bill LaCoyne. Was it no, Bill Larry Mazur. No, Larry oh, Larry Mazur. Oh, I didn't know Larry oh. managed him. Larry was managing wow. the band, and then after that, then there was no manager for a while, and then they didn't get Doc until they did the reunion in 96. Oh. I know he's 
really bringing them back into the you, know, you talked about earlier when they were doing some some, some uh, touring and then the arenas were not getting filled up. I guess he's credit with really not only bringing them back with that reunion, but also getting them over what two two thousand twenty five hundred um, those those promotional deals with you know uh, with the logos and the and the dolls and just all the merchandising. Oh, they and, went crazy! They went yeah. crazy! They went crazy with it all again. That's when they brought. That's when they brought Paco in. At that point. Yeah, Paco came in to be the accountant. Well, Paco had been one of Doc's guys with Bon Jovi, Scorpions. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. He's one of Doc's guys, you know. Yeah. But I think Paco's kind of retired pretty much. Now. He's retired. Yeah, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He's okay. retired. He just got over having some sickness, maybe. He's okay. Yeah. I love okay. Paco. He's funny. Uh, you know, those, I mean, really, those years, if you talk about merchandising, the essence and the science and the art of merchandising and merchandising, you know, you got Doc, you got Kiss. I mean, there was, there was no band like it. Yeah, but it originally it started, it started with a coin. A coin's yes, a guy that really, he, he was a master of press. He was a master at merchandise. And, uh, and those guys, you know, they were the first band to really – since the Beatles, right, to go yeah. merchandise crazy, you know? Yep. You know, a lot so, of people don't realize that, uh, I was going to say, a lot of people don't realize the Beatles had a lot of toys and merchandise back in the 60s, yeah. but they yeah. weren't really big on it, and they didn't know it. But anyone that might remember, probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago or something, at the Hard Rock Hotel in Las Vegas, they used to have some display cases, and they had all the Beatles toys. There was like a toy... Uh, plastic Ringo Star drum. They had yeah. a comb and a hairbrush and a mirror, uh, talcum powder. They had, <laughs> the Beatles had, had it all. They had all that stuff before Kiss. And Elvis, too, another one. <laughs> yeah, but, but rock bands like, you know, Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, BBA, there were no merchandise. We never sold merchandise. No, I, rem I remember no T-shirts, nothing. I remember yeah. being on tour with Jeff Beck and BBA, and I just released my drum book, you know, and I said, let's sell the drum book at the gigs, you know, and we sold some of them at the gigs. We carried them around and sold them at the gigs. Oh, and, uh, and that was like unbelievable. Wow, we sold my drum books at a gig, you know, but then not until I was in Rod Stewart, which was like uh, three or four years later, then everybody was doing merchandise then, you know. And then I think Alice Cooper jumped on it after uh, after Kiss got big with it. And then there was only a few people that were doing it. And now, you know, it's a staple. Everybody has to do it. So oh, those meet. Hold on, Eric. Those meet and greets that everybody did with this pandemic, I mean, those are all gone now. Forget about it. I mean, I, when I, the gigs come back, it's going to be really weird. Yeah. I agree. It's going to be interesting to see how people deal with all that going forward. Yeah. Very, yeah. Believe me, very interesting. I, I, I stay up awake night, every night thinking about it, how it's going to happen, how it's going to work. Yeah. Eric, it's a, a question I ask everybody. It's a personal question. I mean, for me personally, it's a, a curiosity. I've asked these guys before. Um, you got this great career. You've met so many kings and queens and princesses and princes uh, of rock and roll and humanity. What is something that you have that is your most favorite, most valuable, most treasured piece of memorabilia or a gift or something that you, if the place has got set on fire right now, you would grab before you ran out of your house? Oh, I don't know about memorabilia. I probably want like my dad's watch, you know, because <laughs> 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 I'm with you. 
Well, the, the older, well, I had an older brother, but he passed away in 1994. So, you know, the oh, oldest son usually gets the father's watch and that kind of a thing, you know, old tradition. But my brother, before he passed away, I remember I was visiting, he lived in New York and I was visiting him and he said, here, you want this? And he gave me the watch and, uh, cause he goes, I don't really ever wear it. And so I, it, and then, you know, it was ironically, I ended up with the watch and uh, he passed away shortly after. So I'm glad that otherwise it had probably gotten stolen or who knows what would have happened. Yeah, so that's right. a fundamental, you know, connection thing. So not cool. only is okay. it a gift from your father, but it's a gift from your brother as well. Yeah, I mean, I have my dad's violin. I have his saxophones because he was a he played saxophone and violin. He was a band leader, so I have his instruments. So those are kind of really? cool. yeah. My grandfather was a, cool. uh, a virtuoso in the mandolin. There's actually a school in Italy in Florence uh, named after him. But I've got his baton from 1910. I'm so excited about you know. Oh, his conductor's baton. Yeah, he's a conductor. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice, nice. Carmine and Vinny, did your father play music? Was your dad a musician? No. Nope. No, no, no. Yeah, he played saxophone. Oh, he did? But he was awful. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a musician. What about he you? Told me, he, now, my older brother was a, a doo-wop singer, and they, uh, he, played, he started playing, uh, playing guitar, just taking lessons, which he showed me when I picked it up quicker than he did. And then he stopped playing and stopped singing. And he became the world-famous spice salesman. <laughs> That's he awesome. would sell spices to like Costco by the dump truck, you know, yeah. by the truckload, yeah. stuff like that. But but he, when Vinny was growing up, Vinny can tell you he was like I don't know, maybe four or five years old. We used to have like doo-wop group rehearsals in the living room, and I would have band rehearsals in the living room, and he was running around as a little kid, being exposed to all this stuff. So, was, uh, my mother was always singing, and you know, she'd be washing dishes, the radio on. Singing all the time, right, Vin? She always yeah. be singing along. No, so it's always music. Vinny, yeah, do you now. sing? Do you sing, Vinny? I sang a little bit on some of the records, backgrounds, but I, I didn't really you get into Carmine's it. Carmine's really got a great voice. I always told Gina Paul, you should have got Carmine to be the drummer to replace Peter back then. Because I agree. I'm serious. You would have been perfect because you I sang. Because you sang. I, know, you I talked to Paul, and they said they wanted to get somebody without a name. No, no he answer. said without a name on his bass drum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did he say that? No, no. But uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, but you sing really great, man. I, I saw you guys. I don't know right. when when I saw you when I came to see Kiss, and you sang Beth. I was blown away. I said, "My God!" And you oh, played yeah. piano. I said, great job. I didn't know you great. played piano, and, and your voice is awesome. I didn't know either. Just. Just like Peter. Yeah, Peter, I didn't know he had a great voice. He has a great yeah, voice. He, he's got that cool whiskey, it's, you know, the tone. He's got the cool yeah, tone. Yeah, the tone. Like my voice is now, I have, I have something on my vocal cord, some mucus that won't leave. I have a very gritty voice when I sing now, but I lost my top end, you know, my highs, which I don't like, you know. But like when, now when I do it fudge, I sing people get ready. I have to watch where I go, where I normally would go. You know, I'll crack if I do that with this yeah. crap on my voice. But I like the way it sounds now. I sound like the Godfather. I don't think a lot of people realize how good Carmine sings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. appreciate it. Mm. Really oh, great. I love it. I've said it to Gina Paul a bunch of times. I said, you should have got Carmine to be the drummer back then. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I talked. I did talk to Paul about it back then because I was managed by a coin, and I talked to a coin as well, you know. And uh, yeah, they said, "Well, we want to get a new guy, you know, a new look." He got they got Eric with the new facial thing. So my question to you, Eric, right now. You have to shave to put the makeup on? Oh, yeah, of course. But That's whenever right. we're on tour, I always grow, I grow facial hair. Yeah. So speaking I, of that. You know, do you know that when they, when they auditioned drummers, you know, I, I think it came down to Bobby Rondinelli and Eric Carr. Yeah, well, Bobby, Bobby was one of my students. Yes. Bobby yeah. was one of the ones that they they were undecided between, but I think because Eric could sing. Yeah, that makes a difference. It makes a difference. Yeah, I don't think Bobby sang, and uh, no, he didn't sing. No, I think Paul said if Bobby would would have been able to sing, he would have probably gotten the gig. Yeah, Mm. he told us. And Bobby was one of my students. He played like me, so he should have got me. (laughs) Hey, but but speaking about uh, getting, uh, we never mentioned the fact that you had discovered Eric, and I distinctly remember you at the. The Carmine Peace drum off 1984 when Lita was there, and that's where she saw you. Well, actually, the way it happened was this girl named Brenda Holiday. She was a penthouse pet, and they right. were doing these videos for for Playboy called Women in Rock, and uh, Cheryl Rickson, who was penthouse pet of the year, and a bunch of Playboy girls were all doing these videos. Matt Sorum was in one of them, I remember. Right. And a bunch of other right. guys that ended up in bands. So some girl. She called me up and she goes, I got your number from Carmine. I saw you at the drum off last night and Carmine gave me your number. I'm doing this video. Will you be in the video? And I said, okay, cool. So she hired the guitar player from Steeler, the guy guy that replaced Ingve, this guy named Kurt Jane, and this bass player from New York named Ray Marzano. So we rehearsed at this rehearsal place in North Hollywood called the Rock House. Black Sabbath used to rehearse there. Did you know that, Vinny, that place? No. What was it called? The Rock House. Hmm. And it was back in an industrial area off of Vineland. So the bass player owned that place. And when I went there, to, we went there to rehearse to learn the song. And he said to me, hey, uh, Lita needs a drummer. Randy Castillo quit. She doesn't know it yet. But she, uh, uh-huh. he's coming back from, uh, she's over in, in England with Tony Iommi. She's engaged to him. And she's coming back. And so when Lita came back, she did a cattle call. I auditioned and I got the gig. And then six weeks later, we're opening for Rat at Long Beach Arena on New Year's, and Rat had just went to their full big stage playing arenas, and Carmine's there with one of his wives. I remember it was Angela. She <laughs> had a long fur coat. I'll never forget this. And I walk up to Carmine. I go, hey, Carmine. He goes, hey, man, how you doing? What are you doing there? I go, I'm playing with Lita tonight. And you're going, oh, and I'll never forget. You go, oh, that's awesome. And you go, no, Eric, that's so cool. You go, that's what it's all about. That's why those drum-offs this is what's supposed to happen. It's so people yeah. can get a break. Somebody could, and I got discovered at Carmine's drum contest. That was wow. six, weeks, six weeks after the contest. I'm playing Long Beach Arena. <laughs> See, that's for your influence, yeah, Carmine. Your influence. Oh, yeah. I, I said, thank you, Carmine, always. Yeah, that's awesome. Lita always told me, she goes, I found, through your drum off, I found Eric, you know? and It's and, true. That's how I got discovered. Good. And I re- I remember it was very intimidating. Carmine, you you, pl- you did it at the Palace, and you got up and jammed with Jakey e. Lee and Phil yep. Chen. We did Bo Diddley. Pardon me? We did Bo Diddley. Oh, I didn't remember what you played. I just remember you jammed. And then the judges, I'll never forget, I was very intimidated. I that You had two kits, a single bass kit and a double bass kit. So if, right. if you, you know, for those that play double bass, 
And right. the guy that won it that I was Sal Rodriguez who plays with War. He still plays with War. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the, the guy that won the one, the, the big one that had Buddy Rich, his uh, Sonny Emery, he played with Earthwind and Fire. Yeah. You know? And John Luponte. So, and John oh, yeah. Luponte. Yeah. yeah he's yeah, awesome. Yeah. He's like a monster player. Oh yeah, monster. Yeah. And um, yeah. so I'll never forget. I'm playing Carmine, and you had. I remember the judges were like Bruce Gary, and, yeah. uh, and I'll never forget. I'm, I'm playing, and like sitting right six feet, like six feet away from me, right next to me is Steve Smith. So right. that's pretty intimidating. <laughs> it was, and yeah, uh, but it was a great experience, and that was a cool thing. And I, you, I remember the best story about it though. Carmine, you sent a tape into KNAC, I think it was. Or KLOS. Right, yeah, yeah, KLOS, KLOS. Cassette tape. And from that, they picked, like, I think, 35 guys and 15 girls. And right. girls in the boys' category. So they did it at the parking lot in the old Guitar Center in Sherman Oaks. Right, that was the, that was the semi, semifinals. Semifinals. And, and, you had, right. and that's where Steve, Steve, Old, Steve Adler was there. That yeah, day. but I want, that's why I want to tell the story. So you had yeah, Mike Robacher yeah. was a judge. I think uh, Mark Craney. Yeah, uh, you, they, these were the judges. So Carmine said to everybody, you know, if you like somebody, you know, audience participation is part of it. If you like somebody, you gotta, you know, make it known. Don't be shy and all that. Well, Stephen brought all his family and all of his friends, and they're all cheering for him. Well, Stephen didn't make the finals, and no. so he's crying. I'll never forget this. I'm standing right next to Carmine <laughs> on the sidewalk on, on uh, Ventura Boulevard, and Stephen's crying, and Stephen's mother's coming up, and she's kind of not really berating Carmine, but she's saying, how come my friend Stephen didn't win? He's not included. All these people were cheering for him. The crowd loved him, and, and Carmine's trying to be very gracious. He goes, well, you know, that's just one aspect of it. That's part of it, and blah, blah, blah. So this is 1984. You know, three years later, guys in one of the biggest bands in the world. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, he was with Slash that day. Yes, Slash was there too. That was why I remember. I remember that day because I called him Stephen Alder because it was spelled wrong on my list. You know, it was it was like A L L D E R. So I said Stephen Alder, and they said no, it's Adler. I said oh. You know, it, it was misspelled. So I, I remembered that. And then Stephen told me that himself, that uh, you know, I, I mispronounced his name and he was at that drum off. But he didn't tell me about the crying. <laughs> you, told, you, told me to, you told me about the crying. I remember. He was all upset and crying. He was bawling his eyes out. And his mom's like, you know, the Jewish mother. Why isn't my son in there? You know, it was great. <laughs> you had, you had day. roses. Those were the yeah. days. Yeah, those yeah. are the fun days. How about the days coming up? Eric, we're gonna we gotta be winding down here in just a minute. But you know, I, besides the sun, it's on the horizon, besides, you know, obviously the Chris the KISS train that you're on, obviously. But any uh, any ideas or any concepts of going uh, or thoughts of going back to some ESP stuff stuff with our buddy Johnny Karabi or any of that kind of thing going on? No, I mean I haven't done that in a long time because we would just do that for fun and we'd go play um, in Europe, or we went to Australia before um, as well, Europe a couple of times, because over there, for some reason, you can go over there and do those kind of things and actually make money. In America, yeah. it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, the market's just not the same. Over there, people people have always been, I feel, more appreciative 
and uh, of just music and the arts. Kids are brought up, brought up in school to appreciate, you know, classical music, dance, theater, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they don't do that in America. We have no yeah. culture. We have no culture here in that regard. Benny, how about you? What do you got coming up on the horizon that we should be looking for? I know you're working on some new music, some old stuff. What's happening on the horizon for you? Well, Nick, well, we're working on the third uh, Last in Line album, and uh, gigs are pushed back till uh, end of November, December. And I'm supposed yeah. to go to Europe in September to do this Black Sabbath tour that I do. It's just me and, and a really good band, and we play all the Sabbath songs that I'm on and some of the old stuff. It's it's done really well in the past, so I'm supposed to go there in September. Uh, it's a singer from Italy. The whole band's from Italy. Okay. And it's really yeah, good. Over here, cousin. I've done them here too. I've done them in Ohio three times already, and it's done really well. You know, we play all the Mob Rules stuff and Heaven and Hell, which I didn't play on, but the uh, Humanizer, all that, all that stuff, and then the classics, a couple of Dio songs, and it works good. And then I'm supposed to go to South America again, so we'll see if it holds up. You know, if they're ready. If well, not, it'll be next year. I'm looking forward to having you back here at Last of Line. That's for sure, man. Yeah. Vinny, I gotta ask you: Have you or Carmine? Have you got you? Have you heard that singer, that kid Dino Jalusic? No. You should go check no. him out. He, that kid can sing. He can. I'm telling you, this kid. He does trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. His name is Dino Jalusic. J e l u i s i c. Go check him out. This kid is a great. I'm telling you, there ain't many good singers that come along once in a while like that. This kid can sing. He can sing that Dio stuff. All that mob rules and uh, heaven and hell era stuff. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah? Does a cover, he does a cover of a Badlands song, and he can nail the Ray Gillen shit, which Ray had like a super high range. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, this kid, you, Vinny, you, I'm talking about. you will love him. I'm telling you, this kid's good. Wow, he's, okay. He's, I'll check him out, yeah. He's perfect for any, anyone that's doing that style of music. This guy's perfect, and he looks great, too. Cool. cool. Dino, Dino, right? Dino Jalusic with a J. Jalusic. Carmine, I know you got a bunch of things going on, of course. Always Thank producing, always working on it. You got, you're got working on Cactus. What, what else we got coming up? Well, it's pretty much a, the Cactus album, and we have a new deal for Vanilla Fudge, but uh, yeah, the pandemic screwed it all up. So we're waiting for that to end so we can start recording. And, uh, and, Pretty much that's it. You know, I was doing my Rod Experience show, which yep. is like what Vinny does at Sabbath. I do all the, the great Rod songs that we used to play with Rod when he used to really rock. And we had some of those shows booked uh, by Steve Love that put this thing together that we're doing today. And uh, so who knows? But Who's luckily, the Who's the uh, this, this guy's name is Rick St. James. And, uh, and I talked to another guy yesterday. Yeah, I don't know if you remember Paul Warren. Paul Warren, Eric played Paul Warren and Explorers in the 80s. He played with Rod for 14 years. He played with a lot of different people. So uh, I have him in the group. And now he, he had some other guy that does a Rod show call me yesterday and him and want us to play with him in uh, his Rod show. So we'll see what happens, you know. But, you know, I just, for me, at my age, I just want to get out and play. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, whatever it is, if it's heavy, if it's if it's rock, if it's you know anything but ballads, right, Vinny? Yeah, no love songs, no unplugged shit, no ballads. There you go. And, then, and I, I used to have that on my. I used to have that. No, 
On my first website, it said Vinny Appice, the loudest drummer in rock. And then I'd put uh, no love songs, no unplugged shit, uh, no problem. And Carmine would say, no gigs. (laughs) 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 We got to thank you guys very much. We got to, all of us have to thank Steve Love, of course. Ben Wheeler, our producer, he's been working really hard making it happen. Ben, thank you so much. You're doing such a great job for us. I'm lucky enough to be with these legends, uh, Carmine Apiece, Vinny Apice, and our special guest tonight, Eric Singer. Thanks for joining us. Really. Hey, you got to thank Stefan. You got to thank Stefan for that. What's the name of the show, Eric? Yeah, uh, yeah, Stefan Adika. It's Coffee Talk. Coffee Talk on YouTube. There's a channel, Coffee Talk with Stefan. Coffee uh, Talk. Coffee because he's the guy. He's the guy who turned us on to this uh, this program that really works so much easier, right? Everyone. Yeah, yes. But oh, coffee yeah. talks on. It's on here we are. These are Monday through Friday, eight eight to about ten in the morning, West Coast time, eight o'clock. Yeah, Vinny's uh, gonna yeah, do everybody, his job everybody who's watching, everybody's enjoying this. You should like it, share it, tell your friends. We want to get this out here because we're doing this every week. We're doing it with Carmine. We're doing it with Vinny. I'm an honor. I'm honored to be with these guys. I'm Ron Onesti. Once again, Eric, thanks for being with us. Thanks, yeah. Thank tour. you, guys. Appreciate Good you. Day, Eric. I'll call you, Eric. Check out that, check out that guy, Dino. Vinny, you're going to like will. And, uh, okay. and I'll, I might see you in Vegas soon. <laughs> I might right, move, too. I'm here. Okay, look me up. I'll see you guys. Have a nice weekend. Okay, you too. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, everybody listening. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Have a great week. Set me free. You really don't It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.